Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Some of God's most beautiful miracles and greatest work is especially evident in the aftermath of our darkest and most painful experiences. After the dark days of the crucifixion of Jesus, light breaks forth in His resurrection. After hurt is healing, after brokenness is mending, after death is life. Through this series, we are learning to pay attention to how God is moving and growing our faith in and for the aftermath. Hello, hello. Woo! Everybody good? Yeah, good. It's good to be here, right? It's always good to gather together, whether we are physically here in the room together or we are watching online. We are not separated from one another. We are all drawn together in the spirit and body of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's, let's get to it. Uh, my name's Jasmine. Um, you see me talking a lot, and I'm going to do that more today. Um, <laughs> I uh, have not had the opportunity to preach since March 8th and 9th. So that means the last time that I preached, the week after, businesses shut down, schools closed, and we stopped meeting here in person. So I don't know what that means for us next week, but I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) We are wrapping up our Aftermath series today. We've been in this series for 13 weeks. And we prayed and planned for this series all the way back in January. At the time, it was only gonna be a three-week series right around Easter. And we had no idea that when God put this on the heart of our pastors, that when we walked through this time, that we would be facing the things that we are facing in our world today. We had no idea that it would be 13 weeks long, but God has kept us here for a reason. The premise of this entire series has been that in the aftermath of life's most painful moments, that there is the potential for God to do his most beautiful miracles. And so in this season and throughout each sermon, each week, we have been paying attention to the way that God is moving. And we've been naming our current reality and then exploring the ways that we move forward in faith toward that beautiful miracle that we know he has for us. So we're gonna do that same thing this week. We're gonna acknowledge that God is moving, but we're also going to name our current circumstance and we're gonna talk about how to move forward in faith. So I'm gonna be Captain Obvious here of our current circumstances. Um, In the aftermath of uncertainty, there will be a heightened sense of anxiety. I don't know about y'all, but I have dealt more with anxiety in the last three months than I ever have in my entire life. I am typically not someone who worries very much. Um, I've, I've been proud of that. By nature, I am, I'm not an anxious person. I, I just don't worry. So in these last three months when nothing has been certain and we don't even know what the next you know, day holds, much less you know, trying to make plans for the future, I have been incredibly anxious. And it was such a foreign 
experience for me that I, I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I know that I'm not supposed to be anxious, right? I know that, um, but I was. And so I just started by paying attention. I started paying attention to what I was worried about. When, when anxieties would, would rise up and I would start, you know, that, that feeling in your chest that you get, or that feeling in the pit of your stomach, you're starting to get a headache. I'm like, why, why, am I, why am I feeling this way? What am I anxious about? So I started naming the things that I was worried about. And then I started paying attention to what I was doing with it. Not just, not, and not trying to, to control it or trying to manipulate it or direct it. Just thinking like, okay, I am anxious about this. What do I, when I start feeling anxious, what do I normally do? And I started out by naming things. And I actually made a list. Have any of you ever made a list of the things that you worry about? We made a list. It's incredibly helpful because sometimes we get so overwhelmed and we get so worried with so many different things. And we know that we feel anxious. We know that we feel worried, but we don't really know what we're worried about. And sometimes it just helps to see these things like just written out on paper. Just make a list of all the things you're worried about. Y'all, I made a list for you because I like making lists. I'm going to share with you some things that I've been worried about. I've been worried, I've been worried about getting sick. I didn't think, like I, I knew, you know, that there was this coronavirus. I knew that there was this sickness, but honestly, in the beginning, like I didn't even worry that I would get sick. I thought, I'll be fine. I'm healthy, I'm young, I'll be fine. But as we've moved on to this, I've actually been afraid. I have been worried that I would get sick. I've been worried that my family will get sick. I have worried about people who stand too close to me in Walmart or on the sidewalk or at church. I worry about um, an economic collapse. I have worried about people who are alone. I have worried about people who are mad. I have worried about friends who are sick. I've worried about family who is far away. I have worried about vacation plans. I have worried about conversations, about race and injustice. I have worried about my own ignorance. I have worried about people who are hurting. I have worried about my kids returning to school or not returning to school. I have worried about masks. I have worried about wearing a mask. I have worried about not wearing a mask. I have worried about how to get our church family back into this building. I have worried about my hair. I have worried about bathing suits. I have worried about food shortages. I have worried about my kids' teeth. I have worried about the Japanese beetles who keep eating my green bean plants in my garden. I keep worrying about my child who likes to wander up the street to play with her friend. And I only have one daughter, so now you know which one it is. She's only three, by the way. I am rightfully worried about her walking up the street. I'm worried about being socially shamed, both in public and online. And that is the tip of the iceberg. I sat down, I wrote that list in about a minute. I was like, what have I been worried about? Oh, da -da 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 -da. there it all is. And that's what I'm willing to admit to you publicly, okay? That's what I'm willing to share with you and you. <laughs> I have been worried. I have never felt this much worry in my whole life. And then I started paying attention. What do I do with it? Well, I have kind of, I kind of operate in one of two modes. If I get worried about something, I either plan 
or I distract. I am either going to do a lot of planning or a lot of distracting. My planning in me typically comes out first and I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm gonna control this. Planning says, oh, you can't be worried about, you don't have to worry about that because I have a plan for that. I am gonna plan this thing so good that not only is the worst thing not gonna happen, but the best thing that's ever happened is gonna happen, okay? I'm gonna plan. I'm gonna plan so good, my plan's gonna be so good and I'm gonna follow through so good that I won't have anything else to worry about. That is how I am going to handle my anxiety. I'm gonna plan. Now, when I can't do that, my next go-to is distract. I'm going to watch another Netflix show. I am going to read another blog. I'm going to listen to another podcast. I am going to like a few more posts on social media. I'm gonna read through the comment section of somebody else's post and then I get all anxious all over again. I know. Or I'm going to read a few more Harry Potter memes. I'm just gonna be honest. I distract myself because I think if I can just turn it off for long enough, if I can just ignore what I'm worried about for long enough, it will work itself out. It will go away. And by the time that I turn back to it, it'll be fine and I won't have anything else to worry about. Well, our friend Paul offers a third option in the book of Philippians. Now, Paul is an apostle of Jesus and a prolific church planter. And he planted many churches and one church was in the city of Philippi. Now, this letter is written from prison and he is sitting in prison and he's writing letters to all of these churches that he planted. And the book of Philippians, that letter to the, the Philippian church is the most warm, encouraging, kind, friendly letter that Paul wrote. It is obvious that he loved these people at Philippi. Now he's sitting in prison and he is writing a letter. And for all he knows and for all we know, it's the last letter that he will ever write to this group of people. And so I imagine him sitting there in prison and thinking like, what, what do I need to tell them? What do they need to know? What do they need to believe? What do they need to practice so that they can move forward, so that they can continue to not just advance the gospel, but so that also they themselves can grow closer in their relationship with Jesus, so that they can move forward in faith and in courage. What do they need to hear? Now, here's Paul sitting in prison, right? He's already been busted out of prison one time. God got him out of prison, literally busted out, like walls came in and all the things. But he doesn't know that that's gonna happen again. For all he knows, this prison sentence will end in death. And so he kind of has this one chance to express to people that he loves so much what he wants for them. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, chapter, Philippians 4, starting in verse six. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God. He's sitting in prison, doesn't know how it's gonna end, and his message to people that he loves is, don't be anxious. Do not worry. You're like, are you kidding, Paul? You, you, should, you should be worried. You should be, you are sitting in jail. And this is probably not gonna end well. And you're, you're, you're telling us don't be anxious? And we can say like, that's not fair though, Paul. Don't be anxious. I was born a worrier. Have you ever thought that? Like, I just, I came out of the womb worrying. I've worried all my life. Well, here's what I want you to know. One, I want you to know that you're not defective because of anxiety that you carry. You're not defective because you worry. And I also want you to know, like this, this word anxiety, we, in the English language, we use it to cover a really wide range of things that we experience. We call anxiety that, that feeling that you get before you take a really important test, like we call that anxiety. But then we also call the thing that we experience nonstop every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when we cannot physically control our worry and our anxiety and it rises up in us in physical manifestations and we see a doctor and we see a counselor and we take medicine. We also call that anxiety. That is a limit of the English language. And here's what I want to tell you today. If you experience anxiety in such a debilitating way that you need to take medicine and you need to see a doctor and you need to go to counseling, it does not, be, it does not mean that you do not trust Jesus. It does not believe that you don't love him. It does not mean that you do not trust that he is the great and powerful physician. It does not mean that you don't trust him as your wonderful counselor. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but it's okay for God, you're, you're not saying like, God, I don't believe that you can take care of this, so I have to go see a doctor. It's saying, God, I believe that you have created doctors to help take care of us. So I need you to know that today, okay? And the anxiety that we're talking about today, in this translation, sometimes it's translated as anxious, sometimes it's translated as worry, but it literally means to be troubled with cares. And you were born to care. From the onset of creation, Adam and Eve were literally created to care. They were made to care for the Garden of Eden, the place where God put them. And they were made to care for one another. So you are made to care. We are not made to be careless. We're not, we're not made to just say like, oh, everything's fine. I don't need to care about anything. Everything's just gonna work out. We were made to care because we were made in the image of God and he is a caring and loving God. But we were not made to be troubled with cares. You see, what happens is we wait too long to bring these cares before the Lord. And so they mutate and they become worries. They become anxieties. We say like, God, I know you've got a lot on your plate. So I'm gonna take care of this thing because you've got a lot, you've got a lot going on. I mean, look, look at everything that God has to deal with, right? Okay, so I'm gonna take care of this and I'm, it will be fine, okay? Because that's what we think of like my seven-year-old. 
can now do so many things for himself. And it is a dream. People with little kids, young, tiny kids, it gets better. People told me that it, it gets better. It does get better, okay? Like he can put toothpaste on his own toothbrush. Hallelujah. It's amazing. And so I think we kind of look at God in that same way of like, God is actually relieved that he doesn't have to take care of this thing. But the thing is, is we as earthly parents have our limits, but God, our heavenly father is limitless, okay? We can take anything and everything before God. And sometimes we just wait too long. We wait until we can't handle it anymore before we take it to God. We wait until these cares turn into worries before we ever even think about going to him. But we go to God in prayer knowing that the things that matter to us matter to God. We also need to come asking for something specific. It says everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is just a fancy word for ask God something specific. Don't just come in front of God and worry your prayers. Ask him for something. If you're worried about your kid's school situation in the fall, well, tell him. Say, God, go to God in prayer and communicate. Communicate that worry. God, I am worried about what we're gonna do about school in the fall. I'm worried about how that's gonna affect our jobs, how that's gonna affect our schedules, how that's gonna affect my kids' education. I'm worried about that. Then you ask for something and you say, God, give me discernment. Because a lot of us stop, right? A lot of us stop at the worry. Ask for something. God, give me discernment. Help me to know what to do when the time comes to actually have to make a decision. God, Help the administrators, help our teachers. I pray for people in government who are having to make this decision. God, will you give them your wisdom? Will you give them your insight? Pray and ask something of God. We also come in Thanksgiving because in the purest sense, these things that we care about, they're all a gift from God. My kids are a gift from God. The fact that they can be educated is a gift from God. The fact that we even have options of education is a gift from God. The fact that we have amazing teachers, that is a gift from God. All of those things are reasons to give thanks. It's saying, God, I recognize that you ultimately, even though we have, I have all of these things that I'm worried about, ultimately you have given us really good things. So that third option to don't worry is to pray, ask God for what you need and be thankful for what you have because prayer changes things. Worry does not. Prayer is productive and fruitful. Worry is not. Prayer is powerful, not because it's a means of manipulating a certain desired outcome, but prayer is powerful because it changes the posture of our hearts. It changes us. And prayer is also the most basic act of humility. We've talked about in this series that humility is a necessary component if we want to maintain and sustain unity within our church. But going to God in prayer is that admission of God, I can't handle everything. God, you are God and I am not even close. 
You control all things. You hold all things. You have made all things. I don't have it all together. You do. You hold all things together. It's admitting that I need help. And if we can't admit those things in front of an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect God, if we can't humbly come to him in prayer, we will never be able to exhibit humility toward one another. We will never be able to wash the feet of those around us if we do not first bow at the feet of Jesus in prayer. But this challenge comes with a promise. He says, if you pray in this way, Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the aftermath of uncertainty can either be weighted with worry or it can be filled with peace. We have some agency, we have some choice in whether we want this season to be filled, to be weighted with worry, or we, we can have it to be filled with the peace of God. Because prayer is our signal of willingness that we're ready to participate in God's peace. It's saying, okay, God, I've tried it my way. It did not work. I wanna do this your way. And we come to him and then God promises this peace. And this is not just any peace. This is peace that surpasses understanding. It's a kind of peace that I cannot explain, that it cannot be measured. It can only be experienced. And I know that you're like, oh, great. (laughs) Then how do I know it's real? I, I can only tell you that I have experienced that. And it feels like, like that you are in the center of what by every circumstance should be awful. You should be like ripped to shreds right now. And that peace of God feels like God just went and like set up this big protective bubble. And that's, that's what the promise is, right? He says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise that, that we get the peace of God set up like in military formation around our hearts and our minds because God's like, look, you're already worried. You are already drowning in anxiety and in trouble. And I, you can't take any more. I'm going to set up my peace around you as a guard so that nothing else can penetrate and get to you. What a kind, loving thing for God to do for us. And when we are in this protective peace of God, it helps us to be able to stop worrying about our cares and start attending to other things that Paul outlines in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. He's saying, center your mind around these things. When I think about dwelling, I think about like setting up camp, that we're gonna stay here for a while. Dwell means stay. These are the things that you should stay on. Yeah, your mind is gonna be filled with a lot of things. 
And it's gonna be pulled in a lot of directions and a lot of people are gonna tell you a lot of different things. But don't stay there. Stay here. Your mind might wonder. Your mind, you might start to worry. Your heart might start to worry. But don't stay there. Stay here. And just because these things are good, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, excellent, worthy of praise, it doesn't mean that they're easy. And it doesn't mean that they're comfortable. It's not always comfortable to think about what is right, especially when you're wrong. Okay? But his peace gives us space to feel that and to think on that. And then he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God, and the, sorry, the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Do them over and over again, habitually, until you have learned it. I used to teach elementary school and watching kids learn how to read is one of the most fascinating things where you basically take kids from understanding that this combination of like circles and lines form a letter that make a sound and then these sounds come together to make a word and then these words string together to make a sentence and then those sentences all have meaning that make up a story. It's a fascinating process, but it's also very frustrating. And a lot of times you watch kids want to give up, but they know that there's something for them on the other side. And so they keep reading and they keep practicing and they keep trying and they keep mispronouncing and they keep misreading, but sooner or later they get it. And now as adults, you can't look at a word without reading it, right? I mean, have you ever, that is such a like phenomenon to me that like I literally cannot look at like a menu or a sign or a, a billboard or anything that has a word on it and not read it. That's the kind of practice that, that we need to do as believers. All of these things that Paul is telling us, how, how to pray and how to think, we practice and practice and practice until we don't know life without it, until we don't know how not to do it that it becomes so second nature to us. And that's his challenge to us is that we practice it until it's accomplished because the peace of God will guard you and the God of peace will be with you if we practice these things. And this peace also affords us space to gain proper perspective on our circumstances. Because so often that's, that's why we carry these worries is because we aren't properly putting all of these things in the right place. That word perspective means to see, like, spect, like spectacles, perspective. We need to start seeing rightly those things that we care about. We need to see them as cares. And we need to ask God how we are to care for them but we're also in a position where we can see like, that's not something that I can care about right now. It's not that it's not good. And it's not that it's not important, but I can't carry it right now. And being in that protection of God's peace helps us to, to see those things rightly. It gives us that proper perspective. Then he goes on and starting in verse 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly 
that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Essentially, they sent him some money is, is what he's saying here. So he's saying, not that I speak from want. So I rejoice in the Lord greatly that you sent me this gift, but I'm not rejoicing because I had need. I didn't, I'm not speaking from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a phrase in this passage that he says two times. He says, I have learned. I have learned. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I have learned the secret, no matter what my circumstances are, of being content. You see, we skim over. I didn't, honestly, I didn't wanna preach this passage because I've heard a million pa- uh, sermons about this passage. I have read books. I have read blog posts. I have read devotionals about this passage. We've heard it so many times. So many times, in fact, that we almost like roll our eyes when we come to it, right? We skim over it or we skip it all together because we know what it says. We memorized it in fourth grade when we were in Awana's. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's cross-stitched on a pillow on your couch, and it's on one of those felt letterboard things hanging up in your kitchen. You know this verse. We know this verse. But Paul says, I have learned. I have learned how to be content. I have learned how to do this. If I turn to worry more than I turn to prayer, I have not learned. If I am complaining more than I am worshiping, I have not learned. I have learned, don't be anxious. I know that, right? Because I'm trying to do something about it. I'm planning and I'm distracting. I know that. I've learned, don't be anxious. But I have not learned to take that to prayer first. I have learned the words, but I have not learned the habit. And that's why there are so many sermons and there are so many books because God's like, you, I want you to get this right. Not because I want some kind of behavior out of you, but because I want this for you. Because in the aftermath of anxiety, our aim is contentment, not control. He says, I don't want you to try to control this anymore. I'm controlling it. I want you to be content, aim for contentment. Because if we aim for control, we're gonna stay on that crazy cycle of care, worry, anxiety, plan, distract. And then it just goes round and round and round. But if we aim for contentment, it brings us straight into the presence of Jesus. It brings us back to Him. Because when it says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's the strength to be content because the only strength that we need is found in the peace of God. Jesus told his disciples much of the same thing. Like like Paul, you know, he's writing this final letter to the, the church at Philippi. Well, Jesus 
in his last time spent with his disciples, he told them a lot of things. And then he says this in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All these things that you care about, all these anxieties that you, you are holding, I have already taken care of it. It's done. So you don't need to worry about it. I have so much more for you in this life than for you to spend it worrying. So I took care of it for you. I have overcome it already. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are always faithful to fulfill your promises to us. God, you don't just tell us not to do something. You always make a way for us. And that way is always directed straight back to you. God, you never leave us. No matter what, we, what situations we find ourselves in, no matter what anxieties that we're carrying around, God, one, we never carry them alone. And we are never alone. So God, as we worship again, as we come to you, remind us of your presence here. Remind us that we will never, ever be alone, but that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.